Hello, everyone around the world. Welcome. Bienvenidos, que calos irte, to Coloring My Way Across the Globe. I'm your host, Lauren Battistini, color consultant, artist, language learner, and world traveler. Join me each week as I chronicle the most colorful people, places, and experiences I encounter off the beaten path, both near and far. So, let's go. Vámonos, que pame. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Coloring My Way Across the Globe. I'm your host, Lauren Battistini. So happy to have you joining me today. I have a very special guest. Well, all of my guests are special, but this particular guest is very, very, very special. I've known him for a total of 23 years now. Uh, this young man who's my guest uh, is a mechanical engineering major wrapping up his studies at West Texas A&M University in Canyon, Texas, and... He and I just returned from an international trip to Japan. So, without further ado, I will introduce my guest, Christian Battistini, who also happens to be my son. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Christian. As my mom um, said before, I am a mechanical engineering student at West Texas A&M University in Canyon, Texas, and we're here to talk about Japan and just how much fun we had there and a lot of the things that we learned, you know, from, from traveling with each other um, and in such a foreign place to us. And uh, for my for my guests, for my listeners, you will hear me just occasionally call Christian brother. It's just a nickname I have for him. I have a total of three kids and uh, he's got two younger sisters. And so when he was little, we just started calling him brother. So I either will call him Christian or brother during the interview. But I thought it would be very interesting to bring in Christian because this was his first international trip and it was our first mom-son trip uh, around the world or period. period. And I had promised, I have promised all three of my kids a trip wherever they want to go. And so Christian and I began planning this trip uh, over a year ago and... We had some help from Rob Dyer of The Real Japan. Rob is another guest on the on the podcast. You'll hear from him later. But so, Christian, I think my audience would like to know what made you choose Japan. So I've always been fascinated with the culture, um, from the bullet train to just how condensed their cities are, like architecturally speaking, um, and. It, it, like I said, it's just a cool culture, cool people, cool language. Everything was just very fascinating to me personally. And so when you came to me and asked me where would I, I would want to go for a trip with you, I said, um, I said Japan. So that was, that was where I chose. And, and I was, I wasn't really surprised because, you know, growing up, you used to watch a lot of anime, anime. and Naruto right. and, and you, it didn't surprise me, but you know, I knew nothing about Japan. Neither of us really understood. We don't know the language. Well, of course not. But but I think another thing for me was there was just things in my childhood that were that originated in Japan, like Pokemon or origami or just things that were Americanized but originated in Japan. And I just wanted to see where all those things come from, like the land that it came from, you know? Well, and you know, prior, prior to this podcast episode you and I did a lot of preparation and we went through several questions we even mm -hmm. kind of re remapped our itinerary so we have yeah. a lot to discuss today so let's right. dive right in let's dive let's right it. in yeah. and I want to ask you first of all bullet train underrated or overrated um definitely underrated definitely when I was doing research was not talked about enough but there's only so much you can say because it's really just a experience it for yourself kind of thing um, once I got on the bullet train and actually experienced it, it was just, it's called the Shinkansen and it was just, it was seriously so cool. As a, just as an engineer and someone who was already fascinated with trains, it was just such a cool experience. Well, and for those people who have not been Japan, to Japan or heard of the bullet train, how, tell, tell everyone how fast the bullet train was going when we were I'm on not, it. I'm actually not sure, but I mean, I know it was, it was <laughs> fast. Um, and it was, it was such a slight it was like an acceleration that you don't even feel. And that like that was the coolest part to me because in a normal train, you can kind of feel the tracks. You can kind of feel the vibrations of the tracks and the train and all that stuff, right? In a normal train, but in a Shinkansen, in a bullet train, you don't really feel that. 
you know, and it's just a really slight acceleration and it was just, it's such, it's so cool. Like it's just such a cool cool. feat of engineering. And, And I remember too, before we even got on the bullet train and a lot of the longer train routes we took, there were these little, I'm going to call them Japanese happy meals, but they're not, they're not happy meals. They're those little Ichiban little boxed meals Right. In the bento boxes right. that it, it was like you, you and it was all fresh right. with sushi right. and rice and all this other yeah. stuff so we got to eat that we got to take mm. that on the train but i do remember that at one point on the bullet train it didn't seem like it was going that fast until i looked out of the window right and that's when i realized oh my word we're going that's when you that's when you kind of realize because you like i said you don't physically feel it, it but was. when you look kind of look at everything and relatively like how everything's kind of going it's like dang like it was fast. Like, we're going fast. Okay, so speaking of trains, let's talk about the rail and the transportation system. And I think this is where you and I, well, I did. I experienced a lot of frustration because I don't speak the Japanese language. Mm-hmm. I don't have a great sense of direction. Right. And this is where I think you and your engineering capabilities and your understanding of just orientation and maps mm-hmm. and such. How did you experience, what did you think of the train system and how did you navigate it? Because I know I had a hard time with it. Right. Well, I know that whenever I don't really understand something, um, I really want to learn it like as fast as possible. I really want to just like do a bunch of research on it and figure it out right then and there. And so that's what kind of happened when we first got there. I just didn't really understand what was going on. I was kind of confused um, because it is, it is confusing. It's a confusing system um, overall, but... I think a multitude of like apps, uh, some maps that we had on hand, and just kind of reading the the maps that are kind of on the station mm-hmm. and knowing exactly where you're going from point A to B helped helped me, I guess, learn. Um, I don't, yeah, I, yeah, it just it just kind of helped me learn. Well, and this is what I'll say: I wish I would have done prior to the trip, and you you don't know until you right. experience this. And hindsight is twenty twenty. I wish that I would have studied the maps myself. And we already knew what cities we would be in. We had mm-hmm. planned our route very right. well in advance. I just wish that I would have taken the time to study the maps a little bit better. It would have been less over less right. overwhelming for It's me. just very, there's just so much to look at when you're looking at yep. the Japanese uh, railroad map that it kind, of, it kind of freaks you out a bit if you don't know what you're looking at. And again, like overwhelms you to... You know, especially coming from a person that, like, doesn't use trains like that. You know, we don't use... Yeah, we just drive everywhere. Right, we just drive everywhere as um, Texans. Like, we don't we don't use the trains. And they use the train every day. So, it's kind of... Those train... Those railway systems are built for those those people. You know, like... That's right. right. They're the used to it. System. It's their everyday life. Yeah. Okay, so I thought what our listeners would like is for us to do a rundown and go over our itinerary and some of the highlights from each city. Mm-hmm. So, we were in Japan, you guys, for two weeks straight. In the uh, latter part of May, was it the second half of May or the first half? I can't quite remember. Uh, I want to say, because I know that I get out of school early May, so it was probably later May, early, yeah, later May. Later in May. May. Okay, so we were there for two weeks. We had our map routed. So the first, let's talk about the first place. We were in Mm. Tokyo. We flew in and we Mm. were in Tokyo for three days and... So, want to talk about some of our favorite activities? The first day, the, the first, first the first couple of days. Right. Okay. So, um, we fly in, and I think even the flight was an experience in and of itself because the first the first leg of the flight, we flew on an airline called Eva, I think. Yes, Eva. Eva, and that was that was different. Like that that was definitely it kind of dipping our toes into this foreign world that we haven't even experienced or seen yet. And it was, it was a cool kind of, um, nudge, if, if you will, to like the idea of how the trip was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's definitely a different culture in Eva. Um, they're speaking different languages. I think on our first flight they were speaking Mandarin because we were going to Taiwan. Um, and then once we got to Taiwan, that was also like, whoa, like, this is so different. This is so foreign. Well, we were stressed out when we got to Taiwan. We were stressed we, out. We had a connecting flight that we almost missed. We had a, oh, I remember that. We had a connecting flight, <laughs> and um, as soon as we got there, the line for 
checking in, was it? Checking in? Uh, it, no, it was literally just our connection. There was a line to connect to the next, the next yeah, flight. Yeah, well, that's what we thought, right? But then we skipped the line, and then we realized there's something, right? I don't I know, but remember. we barely made it in time. We, we literally, if we didn't talk to this one particular employee... That one agent. ...of Eva... Um, we wouldn't have made it, actually. Because I remember, I was thinking about this the other day. We were like, help us. Like, we don't know where to go. He literally walked us through TSA because he knew that we had to be yeah, on the flight. He like, walked right us to the there. shuttle bus. He walked us, us to the, the shuttle bus. And as soon as we got on the shuttle bus, they closed the door and they like they went to the, the plane. Mm -hmm. Like, we almost missed that, which is... <laughs> I just don't even know what we would have done. At well, that we would have cried. Like, we I would have been really crying. Yeah, I think it would we would have been, been, been a super stressed. Okay, so let's talk about our, our first few days in Tokyo. Sorry. So yeah. we stayed in a neighborhood. What was the name of that neighborhood? Do you remember? Napori. Wait, can we talk about, before we talk about Napori, I actually kind of want to talk about how we got to, um, what station was it in Tokyo? Do you remember? It was it the yes hold on the udon no 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 <laughs> those are the noodles I'm sorry <laughs> brother I don't remember um, Ueno um, Ueno Ueno no that's that's a city um man I really wish I knew I can't I'm, I'm just kind of fun. well I know we stayed in Napori well we did um, but the the airport is in and I don't even know how I'm blanking on this the airport is in Tokyo. I want to say Eastern Tokyo. So right, but we definitely had to take it like a thirty-minute, twenty, thirty-minute train. We get there, and we knew that we were gonna be charged for uh, service if we just used normal, AT and T, LTE or whatever. So we went and got pocket Wi-Fi, and we didn't know that they changed the kiosk, the location of the kiosk, to like the other side of the airport. <laughs> and of course everything's in a different language right so we're trying to figure out we're trying to ask like the front desk like hey can you show us where this is like we're pointing to a, like a piece of paper with the map of the right. airport where and the thing was supposed to be but where we didn't, the kiosk was supposed right? to be and we be. didn't know this at the time and then we run into and we're freaking out we're trying to like we can't even find the pocket wi-fi we just got there you know we can't even figure this out right <laughs> so we're freaking out and this australian lady approaches us or i think she might have been new zealand i don't know um from new zealand she approaches us and she says hey would you guys mind doing an interview and we were like well we're kind of freaking out um we don't know where to go we've from just here, arrived we're just tourists x y and z like we don't understand like we're kind of freaking out and this lady's like okay well calm down just do this interview with us and you know we'll, we'll show you where to go and it was kind of <laughs> like oh, okay so we kind of have to do this interview and it was it was really weird. It was it was like we're being interviewed for the like a, the news or like some kind of. It was it was some podcast or some little TV video series where they were interviewing uh, tourists and what they wanted to know was what attracted us to Japan. Right. You're listening to Coloring My Way Across the Globe with Lauren Battistini. For more information, check out lfbcolor.com. Why we were here, what languages we spoke, I think, and so that was our first experiences as soon as we landed landed in Tokyo was we were interviewed. And my mom doesn't really do well with hiding her stress, and I'm sure that if we were to watch the video, like you could, like, you could just tell that my mom was so stressed. No, out. you like, couldn't. Well, yeah, you definitely could. And I was, I was too. I was like freaking out, like, what are we doing right now? What, what, what is this interview? We need to like, be finding our pocket Wi-Fi. We need wi -Fi. to be finding, like, we need to go, go, go. Because I think we were in a rush to get to the Airbnb. Maybe. To our Airbnb, yeah. Or, no, had... you know what? We didn't want the uh, Japan, the JR Pass to, like, close. We knew that the line okay. was going to be closed. So let's back up for our listeners who don't know. Well, okay, so first of all, pocket Wi-Fi. It's basically so that when you're traveling internationally, when you're in Japan, it's a very economical way for you basically just to have internet coverage at all times. So you don't have to pay for your for exorbitant international charges. Right. Exactly. Now we were in a hurry, like Christian says, to go to go to get our JR passes. The JR pass is literally the Japan Railways pass mm -hmm. that you want to purchase. Because it gives you almost unlimited access to to trains all around the country. Um, it's a honestly, it's you have to do they it. They are genius for that. The like I personally love JR Pass. I can't remember what the other one's called. Hated it. 
I love JRS. <laughs> like whenever I saw the JR on like a, we knew we were gonna be. I okay. was like, yes, thank gosh. I don't want to have to buy an, like another ticket just to go to this one place. Okay, so first city, we flew into Tokyo. So first we got city settled was at the Airbnb and in Ueno, but that was we had trouble finding that. Um, we so we took the train from the airport, and I just really wish was it. It started with an N. I know it started with an N. I, I don't know, but let's um, talk about the things that we enjoyed while we were right, while right, we were right, in. Right. So, um, well, what, what is there to talk about? I mean, okay, so we got to go see the Tokyo skyline. I don't think so. Oh wait, yeah, we did, we did, we did, we did. We did. Um, I'm looking at my notes, and you guys, we're having to. Ref- I'm having to refer to our notes because we, Christian and I, had a conversation a couple weeks ago before this interview where we went and recapped the trip. Um, so, brother, we we went to. Yeah, we did see the Tokyo skyline. We, we did, took we some did. big elevator all the way up some tower. Mm-hmm. We've got tons of pictures of that, and we did that right around sunset. Was that the first day? No, it was the second day. I think. We also saw the Buddhist wedding. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. Mm-hmm. Because the first day we get there, we get to Napori. Um, and we get to Napori. We find our Airbnb. And we kind of realize how small it is. It was the size of a... It was very small. It was the size of a some people's closets. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that, kind of, I kind of was familiar with this idea and this concept. Um... Because the Japanese, they like to consolidate space. Oh, they, they're excellent. And excellent. They're, they're great at in it, that. actually. And it's pretty, so it's, this, it's this Airbnb kind of reflected that idea of everything had its its spot, like the dryer, the or sorry, the washer and the sink and all that, but it didn't take any more space than it needed to. That's right. And it was it was tiny. But it was very clean, right. and it, it served its purpose, right. for sure. And so we that night, we got gas station food, and, and then we kind of just went to bed that night, because I think we were really tired. Yep. We were, we were mentally drained. But the next morning, we kind of had a rude awakening a little bit, because... <laughs> Because around, I don't even, I don't even think it, it was, was like about 5 a.m., It was five. It was around 5 in the morning. It was very early. It, it was 6 a.m., and I get abruptly woken up by my phone, by my phone kind of doing the amber alert noise. And if anyone's familiar with the amber alert noise, it's kind of like a long, high-pitched tone that just kind of keeps going and then stops and then keeps going and stops. And it's just kind of, it's kind of meant to like wake you up from whatever you're doing and kind of like get your attention because something like an emergency is happening, basically. And all we hear is the amber alert noise, the amber alert tone, and then earthquake earthquake and i i immediately wake up i'm i'm thinking to myself what like what's going on and i really didn't have time to think though because as soon as i thought like what the heck the hotel or the airbnb starts to shake well it, but, but before and it started shaking i thought you were playing a practical yeah. joke on me because y'all my, you guys my son is a practical joker and i thought he had set his phone to to some type of alert as a joke and i said what are you doing brother what's going on and, and then we felt the building shake so we experienced within 24 hours of arriving to japan we experienced our first first earthquake thankfully it wasn't anything it, crazy. It, it, was, it wasn't anything that's going to topple over the buildings. I'm pretty sure that the build, like the architectural structure is built for this kind of earthquake that's mm-hmm. like minuscule, yeah. you know? And it, oh. Honestly, it was really cool though, like to experience that, like the, well, first, I mean, like, the first morning. Yeah, it was, a, was we, like, we wow. really had a lot of action just 24 hours into the trip. Okay, so let's do a rundown. People want to know what we did in each of these cities. Right, so, so okay, so from May 9th, to 12 that's three days we were in tokyo and we saw multiple parts of tokyo so like i said we we got to napori and that kind of happened um the earthquake mm -hmm. (laughs) and so we did some research that day and decided that we were going to do a few things um golden guy of course is kind of a popular name when you're talking about tokyo so that's kind of something that we wanted to at least see i don't think that we could there was something going on that night that we wanted to do, and I don't think that we were up for bar hopping in Golden but, Guy. But, but, t- but tell our listeners what that place is known for. Oh, sure. Okay, sorry. Golden Guy is a very... Um, it's it's nightlife for 
for American tourists, or I guess maybe not American tourists, but just tourists in general, and Japanese people to kind of just mingle, mm -hmm. um, as, as far as like I know. Um, and it's really cool. It's it's a bunch of small little bars put into one really big place. Um, and it has like this really great energy to it. Um, there's a lot of art that's yeah. there and just... You know, before you go on, being from New Orleans, it somehow... And I know we were there during the daytime, but mm -hmm. just it reminded me of the eclecticism of New Orleans. It, it reminded me a little bit of the French Quarter, but a tamer version of the French Quarter, right? Mm -hmm. There was something very vibrant and colorful and just lively about it. Right. Okay, so Golden Guy. What else did we do? Golden Guy that day, and then we went and saw the Shinjuku Garden, which was very, very peaceful. Mm -hmm. um, it's the kind of place that the elderly are walking around, um, and everyone's kind of just being quiet and, and minding their own business. It was a contemplative There's, place. Like sure. people were there to, I think, to just sit and meditate and right. take a break. For sure. And it was it was very quiet. No one was being loud at all. It was, it was very, very quiet. Lots of cool, um, lots of cool uh, plant life there. I noticed that was my first time ever really noticing that there was like bonsai trees and different kind of species of trees that I'd never seen before. Yeah. Flowers. It was it was very pretty, very pretty, and honestly. Really, it was a really cool experience, I would say. Um, and then after that, we we kind of wanted to go see a Buddhist temple, right? Is yes. That, is that my understanding? Yes. And we we went to this Buddhist temple, and we accidentally ran into a wedding that was going on, and. We kind of just sat there for like five minutes, just watching. Well, and we wanted and to be we so wanted to be reverent. Cool. We wanted to be reverent about it, right? right? Because they were they were the couple was inside of the little temple area, right. the innermost part, right. and people were walking around kind of on the outskirts. So mm -hmm. we were able to look in from a distance. We kept we, we were quiet about it, but it was a beautiful it beautiful really sight was, to see. But it was definitely something that. It's just, honestly, the way I could describe it is just not like your conventional American wedding, you know? Mm -mm. Not at all. But it was, honestly, it was so cool. It, it was, was very beautiful. Really cool. And very reserved and, and very... I don't, I'm not, I'm not finding the word right now. It was, it was a meaningful experience just to witness. Mm -hmm. So cool, though. So just cool. to be an onlooker. And I feel like, as a tourist, like, when do tours really even see that? You know, I feel like... There's just the circumstances that we kind of ran into it. It was just it just felt kind of lucky to to do so. You yeah, know? we were fortunate to see that. Definitely fortunate to see that. Okay, um, let's see. So and then the next day. Oh, and, and sorry, that night we went and saw the Tokyo skyline, like we had mentioned before, yes. and that was really cool because seeing Tokyo. I mean, this this vibrant, colorful city, huge, right? From like an like an eagle eye perspective it was it was just so so therapeutic to me at least like after all this chaos after all this running around doing all this it was like wow like like this is just so peaceful you know like this is very this is very cool I felt very so cool fortunate I felt so fortunate to be there in that moment and I remember snapping a lot of beautiful pictures some of which I think I'll be utilizing for my next um, travel illustration art you know art right. campaign Okay, so we've got several we've got several other cities to cover. So let's right. pick one more thing we did in Tokyo before we move to our next destination. So Tokyo, we also went to. I'm blanking on the mall where the Gundam, the giant Gundam robot is, but basically I wanted to go and see uh, get some Gundam models, um, just to bring back home and build, just and, so I could say I got them in Japan. And, and what's Gundam for those listeners? Gundam who is a plastic model building kit that is a robot that you assemble and i thought it was it's kind of like a model car um except it's a robot it reminded of me of legos but cooler than legos right, and more right. intricate than legos and i saw grown men in the store that we went to and they were <laughs> shopping for their own gundam sets it was cute i thought it was really cute okay. okay so the next city that we went do we uh we saw was kanazawa and kanazawa was definitely a change of pace because kanazawa is 
How do I even? Put it's a this? walkable it's... community, yeah, first of exactly. all. Exactly. And even if you were to take the br- the bus, it just goes in one one basic giant route, loop, yeah. a big giant loop, and that was of the all the places we visited. That tops, I think, my favorite towns. Really. I think so. Well, why? Like, why, do you, why was that here? Okay, so what I loved about it was, first of all, our Airbnb was beautiful. We stayed mm-hmm. in this little home, and the Airbnb host was so hospitable, so friendly, very mm-hmm. helpful to us. And everything was, like I said, was very walkable. And we also got to go down the street from the Airbnb to an original Geisha house mm-hmm. that had been converted essentially into somewhat of a museum. For but sure. within the Geisha house, there was a little area where people could sit and be served tea and little snacks. Remember mm-hmm. when we sat there? And we just got a lot of good pictures. That was kind of like a spiritual experience, honestly. Did you feel that way? For sure. Because it, it was like quiet. There were, there were bells that they were ringing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was super... Zen. I don't want to say Zen, but it just, it was really Zen. Well, like, and the funny thing about Zen is, you know, you and I are, are, I wouldn't call us very Zen-like people. We're not very Zen. We're loud. And that's another thing. Let's, let's stop for just a second and talk about how funny this is. You know, we, you and I had this pep talk with each other or before we ever left and said, okay, we're loud. You know, we're Italian, Latino kind of people. We're very, we're very loud and we're boisterous. Mm-hmm. And you and I, let's be honest, brother, we kind of fight a lot. We love each other, you guys, but we also fight a lot. And we're just loud. And we had said to each other, okay, we're going to Japan. The culture there is more reserved. They're quiet. They're not going to be fighting in front of anyone. They want to save face. We need to follow suit. We need to conform. We need to be very quiet and reserved and be a little more zen-like. Do do you think that on this trip we really pulled that off or not? Oh, yeah. I think I did at least. (laughs) I think I did at least. You you think you were calm and zen on the trip? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think so. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, I just don't know. Maybe maybe you don't agree with me, but I, I really <laughs> thought I was. Okay. Um, but I think the thing, just the one thing that really stood out to me about Kanazawa was a night that we, it was raining. We originally planned on going to some kind of ramen bar that was really famous in the city. Mm-hmm. Closed that night. We didn't know, it didn't say it online, but it was closed that night. Down the street from, and we were hungry. We were really, really hungry. Um, and we thought that we weren't going to eat that night because we just couldn't find anything open. But then we found this one bar that was open. And we went. And I think that was probably my favorite experience of all of all Japan. Well, because... it was a, fa- brother, it was a family owned bar slash restaurant. And but super small, like very small. you sit down in a bar and you're ordering food and drinks, and and they're right in front of you. They're cooking the the food right in front of you, and they're talking to you as well as they're doing it. Um, obviously, we didn't speak the same language, but Google Translate did help us a lot in that situation in that scenario. And um, we ended up making friends with this older jet. We ended up making friends with this older gentleman that. Ended up buying us, I think, sake and... Oh, yeah. They were so... He bought was us gyoza tri- and... Yeah, he, they bought us a few appetizers and a couple of drinks. And they're so so happy to see us there. And they... Right. So what did they say as soon as they found out we were from, we were from Texas? They loved the Rockets. They were like, <laughs> I love... We love the Rockets. We love the Rockets. <laughs> and we kind of asked, like, had they been to America prior? And they I think one of them said no. And then one of them motion that he like he was pressing on the casino machines mm. hinting at that he you know he, he had been to las vegas once yeah we had to basically to communicate with people sometimes do some type of version of charades Very for us fun. to make our points Very known fun. okay and anything else about kanazawa there were some cool pancakes that we had they were very fluffy there. oh yeah those fluffy pancakes but also don't forget didn't we go to a castle yeah, we went to the Kanazawa Castle. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was that was really cool. And so, brother, what you and I are gonna do for my viewers is we're gonna compile some of our best pictures and imagery mm-hmm. into some kind of slideshow or something that I either include as an addendum to this podcast or I make a whole blog post. Sure. But we need to include some of the photography and give people kind of a little bit of a, I'm gonna say condensed itinerary oh, yeah. of what we did. Oh yeah. Okay, where did we go after Kanazawa? Help me remember. After Kanazawa, we we went to Kyoto. And if I'm being honest, Kyoto just was not my favorite. I mean, we loved it. 
We did, we did, but it, like I said, if I'm being honest, it wasn't my favorite, just personally. Um, I think that if I had gotten to see more, because we were only there for a day and a half, you know, we that, weren't there we for We were that. there for three days. No, we were there for two days. In or Kyoto? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think, this is what I think happened, and you can, you, you may not feel this way, or maybe you do. I feel that Kyoto, we were rushed by the time we got to Kyoto, and Kyoto was a whole different pace right. than yeah, Kanazawa. So we had come from this relaxed, calm, walkable community, going straight into Kyoto, and we didn't have, I don't think we had enough time in Kyoto. I think we should have probably dedicated that's, maybe that's five what I days. Yeah, like we, we it's that, like I, I should have said maybe that it's a really cool city. It's really cool, but honestly, we just... We just didn't have time. We just okay, didn't have so time. And, but we and, had fun everywhere we went. So what are your highlights from Kyoto? Oh, for the sure, things that we, we did. did. What do we do in Kyoto that you really did like, though? 10,000 gates at night is definitely a spectacle to go see. Um, it's a big, It's huge... called Fushimi, I think. Okay. Um, traditionally. And it's, it was just so cool. So, so cool. It's, why is it called 10,000? Tell, tell everyone why it's called 10,000. I believe because there's 10,000 gates. I'm... But it's a gigantic Buddhist shrine, temple area. Yes? Is it? I honestly don't remember. Because we went at nighttime. We did take a lot of beautiful right. photos. Right. We kind of went at nighttime. We kind of rushed through everything and just went to the gates. Um, so maybe that's why I'm kind of not remembering that it was And also, hey, you guys, those of you listening, we covered so much territory over a two-week period that some of our details are a little bit jumbled together, even though we tried to take notes before the conversation. So forgive us if we're getting a few details just a little bit. We were also jet-lagged, I think. And so that's why it's kind of hard to really place where we were at certain times because we were <laughs> yeah, just so true. tired and every basically going on fumes a lot of these places. Yes, we were. Um, we were. <laughs> anyway, we went and saw the bamboo forest. No, that was very that was cool. Okay, so that the bamboo cool. forest, we'll definitely have to share photos of that. It is the bamboo grows so high, you guys, all just so high up into the sky. And there was also some live music going on, some acoustic mm -hmm. drums he was playing and, and, a, and I forget what it was called. Pan drum. Yes. That was beautiful. That was a great sight to see and it was completely worth the trip to get there. We got a lot of great photography from that. One thing I will say is that if you are going to go to the bamboo forest, make sure that you're going when you know no one else is going to go. And same with the 10,000 gates. I know they're popular spots and there's going to be a lot of people, but I kind of just wish that there was no one when we went to both <laughs> of those places because and I, yep, and I the think... amount of people kind of... I don't want to say ruins it, but it kind of does. Well, it did take like, the experience slightly because we did, we felt like we maybe had to rush through a little bit, and it was just super yeah, packed. Yeah, I think super in, re packed. in retrospect, especially the bamboo forest, if we had gotten up earlier. You are listening to Coloring My Way Across the Globe. Stories of the most colorful people, places, and experiences off the beaten path, both near and far. As hosted by myself, Lauren Battistini. Each week, I'll be interviewing color professionals, artists, world travelers, language learning experts, digital nomads, other entrepreneurs, creative professionals, visionaries. There's something here for everyone interested in the world around them. Keep listening, there's more to follow. If we had gotten up earlier and we had gone right when right, it opened. Right, right. So the next place that we went to from Kyoto was Kinosaki Onsen. Okay, that was an amazing place. <laughs> that was really cool. It's and, like this really small town in the mountains. They've got, I mean, they are, the stores are only open from what, like, like literally not even kidding, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. And like the 7-Eleven was open. I don't even, I don't even know. Well, they just have a different, a different, uh, dining schedule. Oh, yeah. A different, but okay, so, but, yeah, but let's. Because that, that's where the, that's where the actual, like, People of to or people of Japan go to relax. Like that's where they go, and and to vacate. So know? let's talk about Kinosaki Onsen. The Onsen part refers to these bathhouses. This is a very traditional Japanese concept of going to a bathhouse. There is one for men and there's one for women. But in Kinosaki Onsen, there are multiple bathhouses. In fact we were able to get a pass to pay for a day pass that gave us access to any of the bathhouses. That is its own cultural experience. And, and if you're in that town, you have, you have to go to the onsen if you want to like, 
if you want to get uh, clean. And it, yeah, you if don't you, have showers in in the in the hotels. Like it was just, it's just the onsen. Well, we stayed. You and I stayed in a traditional ryokan, traditional right. Japanese right. guest house, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so the bathhouses that again something interesting something that might make people feel a little bit uncomfortable you basically do disrobe in front of everybody and it's interesting i'll speak from a women's perspective here about the onsens so the the bathhouse you go in and there's a locker area where you disrobe but then you have to go into uh the the sauna area the pool area uh around the spring area they're hot springs it's it's enclosed. You go in there. Um, you you have no clothes on whatsoever, but around the perimeter are these little bathing stations, and you are expected to rinse off very thoroughly, soap and water and everything, before you enter these springs. So you've got to spend a few minutes getting yourself all sudsed up and rinsed off before you ever get in there. But when I tell you, for me. Once I got over being naked in front of a bunch of people, because it was awkward for me. I'm just a private person. Um, once I got over that initial embarrassment, it was truly relaxing to just be there. And I did sleep so well uh, the nights that I went into the to the. It, it really does. It really the did help, like me sleep well too. Like something about it just kind of takes a lot of your energy out. Maybe or just relaxes you to the point where you're like. I just need to go to sleep right now. Yeah. I'm so tired. And then... So cool, though. Definitely, again, different, but still cool. It was really cool to experience and in terms something of, so different. And in terms of pace of life, there's definitely a slower pace there, and I appreciated <laughs> that, because we had come from Kyoto, which mm-hmm. was more hustle-bustle. Right. Then we went to Kinosaki Onsen, and to me, that was a nice respite. We relaxed. We got to walk around. Didn't we go up on... Um, they had a like trolley. a lift. Not a trolley, a they lift. Had a lift that went all the way to the top of this one particular mountain. Don't really know the name, I forget. But there was this bar at the top where you could get ice cream and a and, beer. And beer. We had ice cream and beer. You could get other and, things too, but and you just kind of enjoy the view and that's what we did. Super cool. I loved that experience. So for me so far, the two favorite places were Kanazawa. And then Kinosaki Onsen. And I think I just liked it because they were calm, sedate, just more traditional towns as opposed to big cities. Okay, mm-hmm. where'd we go next? After that, we went to Osaka. Um, and our it was a hotel. I'm pretty sure it wasn't an Airbnb. It, it was, was a, a hotel. hotel. And we were next to this really big market. And we were at the entrance of it. So we kind of had access to this really big market that had its own like intersections, different shops, I mean of all kinds of varieties. It was it was really cool. It was really cool. Um and there was a I flower think, market within. There right, were all kinds of food stations. Right. There were grocery items you could get, produce, uh, jewelry, jewelry, uh, clothing, toys. Just so many so many a options. A little bit of everything. <laughs> uh and then oh, so then I think the first night we were there in Osaka, we went to Nagai Park, which is an exhibit that only happens at night, and it's it's just, it's basically a light show. It, but it's interactive. You can touch some of the installations, mm-hmm. and it's it's it was very fascinating, right. and I thought it was genius. Very colorful. Very colorful, yes, and very just. I don't even know how to put it. Geometrical? geometrical it was. It was geometrical. Kind of, it had a kaleidoscope feel to it. Right. And. Trippy. Definitely. Trippy. Definitely trippy. Psychedelic-ish. It was and a nice evening. The next morning we went to Osaka Castle. I don't think we really went inside Osaka Castle. It was raining that day. We didn't go to get... And you know why we didn't go inside also? Remember, not only was it raining, but again, there were too many people there. Too many. Like, I remember seeing the line and I was just like... What we should... Hey, guys, this is what we recommend, honestly, is any big sites you want to see, and, and this goes for almost any trip you take, get there early in the morning so you can get the sites seen with not such a large crowd, and then you can go on about the rest of your day going and eat in little restaurants and things or so, do other sightseeing. But Well, another thing with Japan in spring and fall when 
people know that these time these are times to go, but like we also went in a time where the travel ban had just been lifted. Yep. And so everybody's flocking in, and I think maybe even the next few years, people are gonna kind of trying to kind of gonna be trying to get in and that's right and then see japan that's right and we were i'm not really sure when the best time of year would be to go to kind of avoid the the tourists Mm -hmm. and still see well let me interject for a moment glory i'm gonna interject for a moment because and and put in a plug for our friend rob rob dyer is the gentleman from therealjapan.com and he is uh, British. He's married to a Japanese lady, and he is a, an expert on all things Japan travel. It's what he dedicates his his work to right now. And so we did depend on Rob to help us create the shell of an itinerary. And Rob on his website actually has a whole lot of different resources for best times to go to Japan, language learning tools, um, the ins and outs of different cities, and just a lot of great free resources. So FYI, it's therealjapan.com. And again, those of you who are just listening to my my podcast here, I don't have any sponsorships or endorsements. I'm not being paid to mention anyone's name. I really did have a great experience uh, utilizing Rob's services to plan out this trip. So he offers as much or as little help as you need. Okay. So um, a common theme with a lot of the places that we went was they were either not in a big city and we could kind of walk around it Mm -hmm. and just kind of relax or it was a big city we felt like we didn't have enough time yep and there was just so much to do that we kind of just did what we could yeah and but then we with the time that we had but in those bigger cities we're like oh we thought to ourselves we wish we would have had more time there was just so many things to do like um honestly unlimited things to do like it was it was kind of overwhelming and and look for being there for two weeks we only began to scratch a little bit of the surface of japan tip of the iceberg me i mean we we really didn't see as much as we would have liked and two weeks didn't do it justice right i mean we were grateful for the trip right of course but there's so much to see in japan it's such a culturally rich colorful beautiful magnificent place we didn't get to really see each city for its own its own beauty. I think what we really got to see was Japan for its beauty. All parts of it. I agree with you. you. Know? We got a little small we, sampling. We kind of, yeah, exactly. We went and sampled every kind of, any kind of part of Japan you could go to, really. Yeah. And and we got to experience it, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I feel like we did, I think we mapped out the trip well, and where else did we go? Where do we go after? So, so where I was getting to is that we were kind of not in Osaka that long as well. Same thing with Kyoto. Just kind of wish we had more time. We didn't. And that's okay. We got to see some really cool stuff. Um, And then we went back to Tokyo for the last two days. And I think the last day we were kind of torn because you wanted to go to church and I wanted to go to Mount Fuji. So that's, that's actually what we each individually did. We split up and I went to Mount Fuji and my mom went to church that day. Mm-hmm. And I think... From what my mom tells me, she had a wonderful experience yeah. with the people, and it felt just as welcoming as she's used to in the Christian community, I think. Yeah, I did. It right? was great. It was a, a Protestant Christian church I went to, and they welcomed me. Of course, the sermon was completely in Japanese, and the hymns were sung in Japanese, That's but so the, cool. but, but the melodies were melodies of, of Christian songs right. I sing in church, and so... I had a spiritual experience, of course, that day, and I felt this great camaraderie, despite the language barrier. I felt a great camaraderie with with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, it was an interesting and beautiful experience, and I was welcomed. After the church service, there was some coffee and tea served, and I got to sit and visit with the with the whole congregation. It was beautiful. And you got to see Mount Fuji. I got was... to see Mount Fuji. So I took a bus to Mount Fuji, and... The bus ride, I think, was like two hours. It was pretty long. Pretty long bus ride. But I finally made it to Mount Fuji. I had to walk. No, I took a taxi from the for the rest of the way to this specific spot where you can see Mount Fuji um, really well. Unfortunately, the weather just was not agreeing with me. And... 
the clouds were covering. They, and you were trying to take peak. pictures. Yeah, I was trying to take pictures. I didn't get a great. I didn't get any really great pictures of Mount Fuji because the clouds were just too, in the way. And too much that's cloud what cover that day. But it, you know, it's okay. It is what it is, and. The same way that you had a spiritual experience, I had a spiritual experience. Um, I can't even really explain it on the podcast. Like It was just one of those moments where you go into a state of, wow, just awe. You're just, you're just taken away. You're blown away by something so beautiful. And, and that, kind of, that kind of summed up the trip. Um, Obviously, we. I wish we had more time to where we could just like talk about each and every moment. Yeah. But I have to add one thing. Mm. But let me let you finish your thought. Sorry. Well, I mean that's kind of what I you know, had to say. We forgot to mention because this was meaningful to me. Also, right. there is a place in Tokyo where I was in heaven. Uh, <laughs> right. The pigment. It's called Pigment Tokyo, and it is the most specific color-based art store I have ever seen in my entire life. I will also include photos of this. This place has the purest pigments of almost any color you can possibly imagine and all these inks and dyes and paintbrushes and they do all these workshops and just walking into the place was such a, an experience for me as and, and most of you know I'm a color expert. I'm a color specialist and I, every, every area of work I've been in the last decades, it has to do with, with color. And so this was a very wonderful treat. I was able to get some watercolor and watercolor paper, and that experience was beautiful. And one thing I'll say about Japan that I noticed is that in Japanese culture, they pay attention to every single detail, be it packaging on a product or how food is served or how things are wrapped. If it's a gift, it's wrapped in a certain way. The way that people dress, they dress impeccably well. Their hair, the women, their hair and their nails are done. And they dress understated and com more conservatively, but they're just so well put together. And I would say that Japan is so very mindful of every little detail and they turn every thing into a, a thing of beauty a beautiful experience they try really hard and a great i think a great example of that is even something as simple as like their candy kit cats mm -hmm. or just they taste like they, they just put so much effort into the packaging they tasted way better <laughs> yeah. way way better and it, you know you could just tell they tried really you can just tell they tried it's and everything that they do it was a i great... really respect the japanese people it was and the a... japanese culture very it, cool. It, it was a, such a wonderful experience. And also going there with you. Mm -hmm. And so I want to get to the part about the mom-son dynamic here. And this is where I want to talk about the good, bad, and the ugly for a minute. Uh, because you and I, we went on this trip together as a bonding experience. We already have a great relationship, but this was, this was our special trip. Just mm -hmm. you and I, the girls weren't with us, your dad wasn't with us. This is just our fun time but let's talk about the good bad the ugly you and i have different personalities we're two different ages you have all this energy in the world as a 23 year old and i'm now 51 and i just can't quite keep your pace <laughs> uh i'm sorry i can't so i want to talk about what you felt from your perception was the the good the bad and the ugly of traveling with me your mom the good the bad and the ugly of traveling <laughs> with my mom um i think that the great parts were just how willing you were to try something new. There was never a moment you were like, heck no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, not like you always wanted, like if there was an idea and I came up with it or, you know, you kind of like, it was always just like something new. Let's try it. I am so, I will never not say no, you know? So I thought that was really cool. Maybe the bad part about traveling, which. With me, go ahead and say it. <laughs> I, I mean, I honestly, there was no bad part for me. I think that every single part was just great. But maybe the bad part was how we just weren't on the same page ever with traveling. I think that <laughs> the railroad came, the, 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 came the, to the railway systems, she she would get very overwhelmed. And I kind of would usually know what to do, but sometimes I didn't. And we, it would just kind of cause arguments sometimes. And, and so, you know, it, it, it's just natural to to fight with your loved ones and I, don't, I wouldn't even call it a fight I think it was just kind of like a disagreement on some yeah. things and then yeah I think 
Okay. Yeah, well, it, well, thank you, brother. The positive it, and negative. So, so now it's my turn, right? So the good, bad, the ugly. Oh, okay. For, of traveling <laughs> with you. The good part, and this is where I learned a lot, I think, from you, is you wanted to try to pack as many new things in each day as we could. Mm -hmm. And my former way of traveling would have been more to do maybe one thing a day and spend the rest of the time sketching or walking around, just kind of taking a slower pace. You're listening to Coloring My Way Across the Globe with Lauren Battistini. For more information, check out lfbcolor.com. But what I realized in traveling with you, and again, it's a good thing, is if you're going to spend all that money to go to a foreign country and you know you only have a two-week period, squeeze as much as you can in in that day. And well, so, I also think that Japan isn't one of those places. It's just not. Well, it depends well, on we, where you go, for but, sure. But, but we squeeze in a lot of, act- a lot of activity. Uh, my point is, it was... That's the that's what I thought was good about traveling with you is that you always had ideas about additional things we could do each day and you wanted for us to try to pack in a lot of different things each day, okay? Mm-hmm. The bad and the ugly, there wasn't a lot of bad and ugly. You mentioned earlier that I was stressed out, a little bit overwhelmed about the train system. The only thing that I got upset about on this trip was I, you know, I organized the trip for us. Organized the trip for us, got everything the itinerary, all the plane tickets, the Airbnbs and the lodging and all that. And so I think I had done so much preliminary work that when we got to Japan, I just wanted to lean on you for you to kind of help us map out what we were going to do each day. And you did it, but I don't like last minute plans the day of. So I would wake up in the morning nervous about, oh gosh, what are we going to do today? How are we going to get there? I was getting myself all wound up. And what would have helped me is if you had planned the night before. But Mm -hmm. this is where different people have different travel styles and different methods of planning or improvising. And so I got myself worked up into a tizzy most mornings when maybe I didn't need to. But you could have maybe helped with that a little bit. Well, I was going to say, I wish I did like way more research. Because there's things in certain places that we visited. Looking back where I'm just like, dang, man. I wish we did this instead of this. And for me, I think, like, particularly was Mount Fuji. I think I really wish that we hiked Mount Fuji. Okay, and this is where had you and I thought about it, and we just didn't. We, yeah, right? I didn't even know that you could do had, it. Had we thought about this, I really do believe that you and I would have trained a little bit, gotten the right, right. shoes, wore them in a little bit so they we knew right. that they were comfortable. And I think we would have trekked and done Mount Fuji, and made that like a three-day, three- or four-day activity for us. Mm -hmm. If we ever go back there together, that's on our bucket list. Oh, for sure, for sure. I I mean, you'll go back there, but like if you and I together go back there, I think you can also rent out like cabins up there. and like So you hike all the way to the top, and they have food up there and stuff, and you can also, or maybe they don't, I don't know, but you can camp up there. And I just, that sounded, oh, that's not, if I go back, I'm doing that for sure. 100% doing that. Anyways. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of drawing to a close on a few of our questions here. Okay. We've right. we've we've got a few more left. Uh, let's see here. I think that in our mom son relationship, and I'm getting a little sappy here, but in our mom son relationship, we already were close before the trip. But I think I know that this trip drew us closer, and I had a feeling that it would. And it was one of the reasons why I wanted to take this trip just with you. And, you know, I'll do one with your two sisters as well separately. But what are your thoughts on that? What Do you, do you feel that... How did this trip impact us as mother and son? That's the way to ask the question. I think that, you know, you grow up with your parents kind of having that kid-parent dynamic, right? You're the kid and they're the parent. But... And you never get to really, really see your parents be vulnerable. But when you're traveling with someone in a new place, both of you are going to just be vulnerable. And I think I got to see my mom become very vulnerable in Japan. She, and not that's a, not that that's a bad thing, but it just made me respect her more. And, and, and it was almost like, I don't want to say we're on the same level, but... It humanized you yeah. in a way that I just never had really look, looked at you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, yeah, and it just made me respect you a lot lot more. Not that I didn't already, but yeah, it was just like, wow, like, 
my mom has these feelings too and and my mom gets scared too and yeah and my mom can my mom can freak out just as much as anyone can, you know, on, on anything. Well, you knew that before we left for Japan. Right, but, I but, you know, like, it was it was just seeing the the rawness of my mom that I had never seen before really, mm-hmm. really changed my perspective for good from my mom. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I think for me that what this did for our mom-son dynamic is it underscored for me this trip underscored how close we really are right and how despite our little daily microaggressions and little fights we'd have how we and i this was every day for 14 days we would have a little scuffle and literally five minutes later brother we would be laughing over something and (laughs) celebrating and and we could really vacillate between those two extremes on a daily basis for Mm -hmm. two weeks straight and just we have so much fun. And I'll tell you that when we flew back into Houston, that I had this just lump in my throat of of, of sadness because I didn't want the time to end. Yeah. And I'm getting choked up now thinking about it because that's an experience that just you and I had. Mm-hmm. Neither of us had been to Japan ever before. And it was such a special time that no one can ever take from us. And will always remember it and it was I could, it, it's crazy because i could sit here and tell you all the all all the things that we did and walk you through every single picture walk you through every single second of the day but mm-hmm. i just can't i can't explain the feeling of it of every single day and and how a new experience was going to happen we we both just didn't know we were both clueless on what was going to happen and it didn't matter you know In- like it, there's just something about it that you can only go as, go so far with explanation. And I feel... You kind of just had to be there. That's right. You kind of had to be there. And I feel very blessed and grateful that we were able to even do this trip. You know, it's a it's an expense. We were able to save up to do this. And um, I'm, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do this. So, let's... I have a couple of questions for you. A couple more before we close. Okay. What does it mean to live a colorful life? What does it mean to live a colorful life? Just in general? Mm-hmm. Just in general. Okay, well, I think living a colorful life to me um, is is waking up every day and just kind of just doing something different. Just just walking off the path just a little bit. Maybe, maybe just a little bit. You don't even have to go and do something extreme every day. Just do something, just one thing different every day that maybe makes your life a little bit more colorful great example of that is you know waking up and and saying hey well today i kind of want to go on a bike ride okay go on a bike ride or today maybe i want to go and fish today maybe i want to go and fish okay go fish you know um i think just just doing something different that trying new things trying new experiences is really what makes life Yep. Colorful to me. And to add to that, and I just I just thought of that as you were talking, I, I noticed a difference and a shift in you when we returned from Japan. Mm-hmm. I noticed that you began living your life differently and more colorfully. Almost immediately after we came back from Japan, you um, you started getting into rock climbing. You started getting into mm-hmm. cooking taking good care of your health, Mm -hmm. you started improving your overall just sense of dress, not dressing so much as a college student, but now contemplating your future as a young adult. You've just taken better care of your your style and your dress. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed you've lived what I would call a more colorful life even since that trip. Right. Um, Right. Well, I think Japan was such a dramatic new thing, right? It 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 was just like, wow. This is out there. Imagine what else is out there. And so now I've been now I'm just so used to trying new things. I know that sounds weird, but I'm just so used to trying new things like trying out cooking, trying out working out in a new way, um, rock climbing. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what else. But just trying new things 
and not being afraid of trying new things and just taking that leap of faith or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it makes I think it makes things a lot more colorful for anyone. So your your idea of a colorful life is waking up every day and trying something new. And I noticed too that with you and me when we get together because now you don't live in Houston anymore. You're all the way in in Canyon near Amarillo and mm-hmm. you know, you're not sure where you're going to land after after college, where you're going to get an engineering job, but you know, when you and I do see each other now, we do try new places. We go to little new new restaurants, or you suggest new places. Just today, you went to a rock climbing gym mm-hmm. uh, in town. So, I I would agree with you that that's one aspect of living the colorful life is to try new things every day. And it doesn't mean you have to go to a foreign country. Like watch you said. a new movie, <laughs> like just right. just go and watch a movie, or go and listen to a genre of music that you've you've never really listened to, or maybe you hate it on. Maybe you'll find something. That you thought you would never find. Mm-hmm. You know? Let's end on a funny note. Let's uh, recount for me any funny story you can think of from Japan. Funny any, story. The, the... Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's not going to embarrass me too badly. Um, well, so for anyone who doesn't know that is listening, um, both my mom and I, um, and it kind of runs in the family, have... Very, very curly hair. It very, very curly. much runs in the family. And it's not a subtle thing. It's a very in-your-face curly <laughs> hair, and we love it. We love our hair. Right? We have afros, basically. We take care of our hair and everything like that. Well, Japanese, it's like Japanese people just genetically don't really have curly hair like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they're just not used to it. Because whenever we were there... Um, we definitely got looks. <laughs> and I didn't notice it because I wasn't paying but attention. But there was this one particular time that, um, <laughs> I think we were walking out of a restaurant or we had just kind of walked in somewhere and there was this little kid that I think honestly saw both of our hair <laughs> and his, his brain kind of just just kind of melt like exploded like he just didn't know what to do so he started crying and and pointing at us and and i'm sure like he was he was he was scared because you know people are scared of what they don't know right mm-hmm. so yeah he probably had never seen anything like that but wait and, didn't you say that we were on uh we had just another we instance so another instance is where we were in like rural japan going somewhere i can't remember we were we were kind of in a stop in between a stop or something Mm -hmm. at a train station and i'm talking to my mom and i out of the corner of my eye i see this like teenager from a inside a train car like window pointing at my mom and i'm like wait what the heck why is he pointing at my mom and i i kind of realized that he was he was showing his he was pointing to my mom to show his friends all of his friends turn around and they start like freaking out they're like what they're laughing what? Yeah, they were laughing like, like, they were laughing and again i just it, i think it was just they'd never seen it and it was just it was <laughs> it just overwhelmed them with such emotion that they either cried or laughed but what's funny to you and me right our hair is weird and distinct and different and maybe scary over there but you you and i are in houston texas where it's so multi-global multi-ethnic hair. we see everything here so to us it's nothing but it right. was it was funny to experience that in japan right. but well brother i, I want to thank you for being here on the mm-hmm. podcast i thought it would be a really nice treat for for my listeners to hear a perspective you know i talk so much about my international travels and normally you guys you know this i take trips by myself so this is the first time that i've really gone to a foreign country with one of my family members like this and it was a it was a great time. And if and let's say for example, you parents out there, maybe you're not in a position right now to do an international trip, but you can just take your child out for a day or two, for a day or two somewhere different. Just just to have that bonding time is so special. And I encourage all you parents out there and all you kids out there to do to do things with your family members like that. It's a it's a treat and it's an honor and it's a blessing and you make you make lifelong memories that way. So, do you have anything else to add, brother? Um, I don't think so. Anything else people should know about Japan before we close here? It's unlike anything you've ever seen before. It is quite truly a, another world and I love it so much and I really want to go back. I've honestly... After going, it kind of, it kind of made me want to live there. I kind of wanted to live there for mm-hmm. a long time because it was just so so cool to me. 
But I think that I'm in a stage in my life where I kind of want to just settle down. And yeah, I understand that. You can always go back to but visit. I can always go visit. Well, in closing, I want to say this. If we've got any people, any Japanese people listening, I, and I, this goes out to all the people of Japan, I have to say thank you because my son and I had nothing short of a magical, most hospitable, meaningful, deep, very moving experience there. And the country is so delightful. The people are so lovely and so kind and so respectful Mm -hmm. and polite. And they've got a sense of real, I think, human understanding and connectedness as even though they're reserved, they're very caring people. Um, and they're not standoffish. They are, they're reserved, but they're very deep. They're deep, I think, in their connectedness and they are very gracious hosts when you visit their country. So shout out to everybody in Japan and thank you all so much. Those of you who are tuning in today, I have new podcast episodes uh, dropping every Friday. I am interviewing and chronicling the most colorful people I meet off the beaten path across the globe. I've got a mixture of guests, everyone from wine sommeliers to language experts, other color professionals, artists, entrepreneurs, travel influencers, digital nomads. I really do. It runs the gamut. I've got a great mix of guests in the lineup. So I hope that you will continue to tune in each week. And until next week, live in color. And thank you so much for joining. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Coloring My Way Across the Globe. I hope that you've enjoyed the conversation, and we would love to stay connected with you throughout the week. The best way to connect is by subscribing to our newsletter at www.lfbcolor.com. That's www.l as in Lauren, F as in Frank, B as in boy, color, C-O-L-O-R, dot com. Also, you may find us on Instagram using the same handle, lfbcolor, for the latest stories, podcast guest profiles, travel photography, language learning diaries, and my own colorful art. Hope to see you there, friends. Thank you again.